Unless you're living under a rock, you're aware that the Philadelphia Eagles defeated the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 52 on Sunday in what was truly a spectacular game. There were countless stories after the big game. Nick Foles outdueled NFL wonderkind Tom Brady, who put up the most prolific passing performance in Super Bowl history. Philly captured their first ever Super Bowl title. And Malcolm Butler being benched before the game just added more uncertainty to a Patriots organization that seems to be showing signs of internal fracturing after nearly two decades on top. And oh yeah, both teams put on an offensive clinic. The Patriots and Eagles set the Super Bowl record for combined total passing yards with 874 and combined total yards with 1,151. That total yard figure actually represents the most yards in an NFL game, period. Super Bowl, playoffs, or regular season. It's pretty insane. But here's my big takeaway from the end of the Super Bowl and the NFL season as a whole. The rest of the league is starting to come up with innovative ways to close the gap between the haves and the have-nots. The irony in this is that that innovation has largely come from the college game. Like the Wildcat and the zone read before it, college football is again making its impact felt on the professional game. This time with misdirection, sweeps, bubble screens, and of course, it's become a talking point the last two weeks, those RPOs. The first clue that things may be changing was actually on the opening night of the 2017 NFL season when the Kansas City Chiefs hung 42 on the Patriots in Foxborough. They used many spread college concepts in that game to leverage advantageous one-on-one matchups with their quick, speedy skill players. All of a sudden, Alex Smith looked like an MVP candidate. I can only imagine the Eagles familiarized themselves with that game tape quite quite often over the last two weeks. The Chiefs weren't the only team in on the fun. Everyone knows about the Carson Wentz version of this year's Eagles. He was poised to be the league's MVP, uh, running what Denver's Aqib Talib called a college offense. And he did all that before he tore his ACL in Week 14. And of course, in-stepped NFL journeyman Nick Foles for three very, very underwhelming starts at the end of the regular season, looking very much like the Rams version of Nick, Sol- of Nick Foles and not the 27-touchdown, two-interception version of Nick Foles that Philly fans had seen a few years ago. And of course, the rest is history. So where do we go from here? Are we at the beginning of a new age in professional football? Which players could have a career resurgence, now knowing that Nick Foles is capable of winning a Super Bowl running that kind of offense? Are there new tweaks coming to the NFL that college has already been doing for years? And for the purpose of this podcast, how on earth could anyone ever question Baker Mayfield's preparation level running Oklahoma's offense ever again? After all, Philly's game plan may as may have well just been concocted by Lincoln Riley on Sunday night. The Eagles sure looked like the 2017 Oklahoma Sooners at times, especially when it comes to reverse touchdown passes caught by a quarterback. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. And now it's third and long, 27 to go. Crap straight drop. Sideline intercepted. Ball straight. And straight might go straight to the end zone. Touchdown. There's oranges flying on the field. 32-yard touchdown on the interception. 
interception return by Derek Strait. Derek Strait welcomes us into another edition of West of Everest. Strait's 32-yard pick six was the final blow landed to Nebraska back on October 28, 2000. OU went on to beat the Huskers 31-14 to improve to 7-0. That victory by the Sooners, the capper to Red October, a month that saw OU throttle 11th-ranked Texas, second-ranked Kansas State, and then number one Nebraska in Norman. Hi, everyone. Once again, welcome to the show. I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top with the opening take. We'll bring him back in a moment. And thanks to any of you who have checked out the live video Grant recorded during the opening take. We're going to continue to do that, trying to give you all a little bit of a uh, sneak peek behind the camera, how we produce the show. Maybe at some point, if we ever get into the same location, we'll have the entire show broadcasted live. So on the show today, we're going to talk about Kyler Murray juggling baseball and football and why I don't think it's the best news for OU football, but ultimately it's the best decision for Murray. We'll discuss National Signing Day, although we are recording this before signing day, and we'll explain why. Plus, OU men's basketball, seemingly they peaked in January. We'll touch on that, and I'm sure Grant and I will have thoughts on the Super Bowl. But first, I'd like to thank everyone out there for listening to the show and supporting the show. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes. West of Everest is also available on SoundCloud. And if you're on Facebook, go ahead and find our West of Everest Facebook page and give it a like. We're in the early stages of developing that Facebook page, so go ahead and give it that like and follow us through this process of providing you with even more content. If you're on Twitter, you can find me at Lee Benson News 9, and you can find Grant at Grant Benson 25. One day we'll create a West of Everest Twitter profile, but first we're really focusing on Facebook. And as always, if you'd like to ask us a question or provide a comment on anything, email the show westofeverest at gmail.com. So without further ado, let's welcome back Grant. Grant, what did you think of the intro today? Uh, Derek Strait pick six. I mean, I love it, obviously. The uh, the whole the whole Red October run and in, in October of 2000 is something that's very near and dear to my heart. That's that's basically when I first started paying attention to OU football. I was a young kid. I was only 10 years old, so I, I had never really been exposed to the sport before. Before that, it was a drubbing of the Texas Longhorns on a rainy October morning. Lee, that kind of woke me up to the magic of OU football. And of course, later on in that month, uh, when they beat Nebraska to take over the number one spot in the BCS, I, I was hooked from there. So I, I'm 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 glad you used that one. I, I one of one of the most memorable plays, uh, of course, in my lifetime. That's for sure. And here's what I'm thinking now that we're into February. That's this is our first February show, and obviously this is we this, this is the first time we've been doing this show now into the off season so we're, we're trying to, to figure out ways to keep the show interesting which i believe we have a great show today but here's what i want to do now since it's february that's the second month of the year i decided to go with Derek Strait, who wore number two for ou and so i'm thinking of highlighting sooners that wear or that wore or wear number two the rest of the month so we might be hearing from Derek Strait again which would not be surprising because he had such a fantastic career at OU. So how do you do you think that's a good idea? Yeah, I, I like that idea. So uh, apparently, though, by that logic, we're about to hear a lot of Julian Wilson highlights. I can't I can't wait for that. I can't I don't know if I can think of anyone else who really wore number two. Um, um, uh, Malcolm Kelly had number two for like a year. Oh, absolutely. I do love Malcolm Kelly, but I think that was his first year. Yeah, yeah. And also, too, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite Sooners of all time also wore number two, Grant, Brian Jackson. 
Brian Jackson is a good player. I'm not really sure if he's going to have a lot of highlights because no one ever threw his way, Lee. Yeah, the only highlight uh, I was thinking about today, the only highlight I really remember was that interception he had against Texas in 2009 where you and I were at the game and we were in the end zone and it looked like he had nothing but green grass. He was going to take it back for a touchdown and he would have, but if but Colt McCoy swooped in and and tackled him, which was it was a nice tackle. Um, so that's the one Brian Jackson highlight I remember vividly. You know, and I'm sure we'll probably think of other of others. There's been other players who have worn number two at OU. At least I think so. Uh, I'm actually that's it. That's it. Actually, yeah, this may come as a surprise to some of our listeners, but I'm not really one of those guys who really remembers jersey numbers. That's not really a big part of my of my bit. I don't really care that much. (laughs) Do you find that surprising? Uh, Slightly, slightly based on about how much you know about OU football. I guess we'll find out more about what you know as the month goes on. I agree. I want to talk about Kyler Murray playing baseball, but real quick, I want to also acknowledge that this episode is being released on Wednesday, February 7th, which is National Signing Day. Grant and I recording this pod Tuesday evening, so obviously we do not know the final details of the Sooners recruiting class. We've discussed recruiting briefly on the pod, more so the past few weeks because now it's the offseason, of course, but admittedly we are not recruiting experts We're not fully plugged into all the high school kids who are looking to make it to the next level. From what I understand, OU's class is basically set. 19 players signed back during the early signing period on December the 20th. And the Sooners are expected to sign a few more guys Wednesday, the biggest name being four-star linebacker Deshaun White. So we'll hold our thoughts on the full recruiting class for next week's show. Before we get to Kyler Murray, though, Grant, I believe you have some thoughts on signing day. I I do have some thoughts, and we're just going to run through this really quickly because, like you said, a lot of this pretty much already is set in stone. There's really not a lot that they're waiting on for signing day. Um, So hopefully I'm going to be able to tell you exactly what's going to happen, and it'll actually just kind of work as a signing day companion. And hopefully there's no surprises tomorrow. I think as of today, everything seems to be pretty... If, if it's not set in stone, at least all of the tea leaves are starting to read these things that I'm about to say. So uh, like you already said, Lee, they already have 19 guys inked and ready to go. A handful of those guys are already actually on campus. Uh, one of those guys who is already on campus that has not signed yet that you that you did not mention in your uh, in your intro there is uh, is the Sooners only five star signee. That's Buki Radley Hiles. Uh, he is he's already enrolled early, so but he actually hasn't signed yet. Uh, so he'll be signing his letter of intent uh, on National Signing Day as well, and then he will join Deshaun White. Both of those guys, Deshaun White and Buki Radley Hiles, were massive recruiting wins for OU. Those are guys who who could see some playing time next year. And also, I did want to say, just in case there was any confusion about it, with uh, with Brendan Radley Hiles, his nickname it's pronounced Buki. Not bookie, not bookie like a like a gambling bookie. It's it's boo as in boo. There's a ghost, and then key <laughs> as in you're gonna turn the key. It's boo key Radley Hiles. So we're gonna clear that up now, and and hopefully we we won't make any mistakes. You know, with that, with you know, for the next three or four years. Anywho, here are the four names uh, that we honestly that we really care about because these are the these are the things uh for tomorrow and by tomorrow i mean today uh in terms of of who who the sooners are still in on in terms of recruits we'll start with with one of them lee tank jenkins he's a four-star offensive lineman from montgomery alabama this is an ole miss versus oklahoma fight 
Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to give a hat tip to the Sooner Scoop guys, uh, mostly Josh, Josh McQuistian over there. Uh, a lot of this information I, I, I get from them when it's, when it's publicly available, all this info is publicly available. So I'm just kind of, uh, just just passing it on to you guys. This is going to be an Ole Miss versus Oklahoma fight. Uh, he uh, Tankley was an OU lean. It kind of seemed like forever. For whatever reason, they could just never get him in on an official visit. That official visit did finally happen a couple weeks ago, uh, but since then, it's it looks like it's starting to trend Ole Miss. Um, I would I would I would suspect that he signs with Ole Miss tomorrow. Lee. Don't be surprised if if he does end up signing with OU. This is not. This is certainly not. Uh, you know a long shot by any stretch of the imagination because he did lead for so long. Uh, but, but as of right now, it, it is kind of looking like Ole Miss has taken the lead and there's just not a lot of time left to, to change that. So uh, calling the shot for Ole Miss on Tank Jenkins right now. Lee, the other one is another four-star uh, player. This is Jeremiah Martin. He's an edge defender. I've seen some... Uh, some places have listed him as an outside linebacker, some as a defensive end. He is from San Bernardino, California. Uh, everything I've read on this one is that the Sooners are likely out of this one. He's a heavy Texas A&M lean. Uh, seems like a guy who the Sooners have never really been all in on. He kind of seems like they've been stringing him along for a bit. Uh, looks like he is going to be college station bound. Uh, another one, Lee. Here's, here's the two big ones that I've been kind of following the last couple weeks. I think these are the two most important ones uh, to, to get on campus. One of them is Moro Ajomo, a three-star defensive tackle from Katy, Texas. He's a three-star guy, but I, I think he, he's a guy who, if if he had blown up a little earlier, he would he would probably be a top 100 player in the country. He played at Katy, which is Lee. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is the highest level of of Texas high school football? I believe Katy is six A. I'll do a quick little double check, but yeah, I, I think Katy's up there in six A. Yep. And so Moro Ajomo, uh, he was a guy who kind of came on late. He didn't really have much of a junior year or if he was really even thought of in his junior year at all but he came on and I believe he was the district's uh, defensive player of the year in whichever district Katie plays for and he does have absolutely dominant film playing at the highest level of Texas high school football and if you just see any 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 you know pictures or screenshots of the guy he's he looks like an NFL body right away and it, he's a guy who I think uh, the Sooners really need to get on campus the only the only problem is that it doesn't look like it's going to happen uh, as of as of Tuesday, the day before signing day. This is a this is an old fashioned OU versus Texas Red River uh, Red River rivalry Red River shootout uh, here, Lee, and everything right now is pointing to Texas. Uh, he's you know in terms of proximity, I know he wants to be closer to home. He's a big academic guy as well, and as much as it pains us to say it, Texas probably offers a little more in terms of academics. Everything, uh, every everything is uh, you know pointing to, to to Texas here, and it, this is also one of those things where the Sooners aren't completely out of it. I, I wouldn't rule out a total surprise here, but I also wouldn't uh, wouldn't count on it. I would I would put the Sooners' chances here around five or ten percent. Ajomo looks 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 like he's headed to Austin, and Lee. That brings us to uh, another defensive lineman. This is one. This is another big one. Another uh, another one where the Sooners kind of got in pretty late on this guy, Lee. This is Michael Thompson. He's a four-star defensive tackle from St. Louis, Missouri. He is buddies with with current OU signee uh, Ronnie Perkins and current OU student Ronnie Perkins. I believe he's an early enrollee. And Lee Michael Thompson, he is a rivals top 100 player. So this is, and he is a top five defensive tackle in the country. This would be a major signing. Uh, this is this is OU versus hometown Mizzou for Michael Thompson. And 
all the news that I'm hearing about Michael Thompson so far is that this is really starting to trend OU, and it's looking like it, 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 this is likely going to be OU tomorrow, and by tomorrow I mean today, so hopefully while you're listening to this, uh, Michael Thompson is already committed to Oklahoma, or he is, he is shortly going to if you're listening to it uh, in the morning. But also, uh, don't don't be surprised if he does choose Mizzou. You can never, ever count out uh, a hometown team. Having that been said, uh, Michael Thompson, it, it is starting to trend OU on this one. And Lee, uh, just to put another, just to put a, a capper on all of the recruiting talk, I did just want to revisit something that we brought up last week, and that is that is regards to two decommits uh, that, that happened over the last couple weeks. That's Travion Johnson and Tavion Thomas, a wide receiver running back, respectively. I just wanted to pass on a little more info that came out in the last week about them. Um, this is not all info that's in stone. This is all this is all stuff that, that I heard. Again, hat tip to, to Josh McQuistion over at Sooner Scoop. Uh, it, evidence is starting to suggest that Travion Johnson may have been a victim of numbers. Um, this is me adding my own stuff there at the end. I Really looking like, and at least this wouldn't surprise me that that the coaching staff, Lincoln Riley, Dennis Simmons, they really probably want to go go after, put the full court press on those three big time twenty nineteen receivers, uh, Theo Weiss, R.J. Henderson, and Jaden Hazelwood. Those those guys, Lee, are all top ten players in the country. Uh, would be would be major signings for OU, and, and also Lee Tavian Thomas. It looks like was it was a grades concern. It uh, OU didn't think that he would qualify. Uh, the general consensus now amongst Tavian Thomas is either going to end up at Ohio State, whom he just got an offer from about a week ago, um, if he's able to qualify. Otherwise, he will end up at a JUCO. And so, Lee, with that, that wraps up our recruiting talk. I don't know how do you how do you think I did there? I think you had a lot of information there, and I was thinking as you're as you're going through it all, <laughs> uh, depending on when people listen to this podcast, um, it's potentially going to be all old news <laughs> by the time they they uh, they listen to it all. So you know what? That's why you put the the timing of every topic we talk about in the details so if you've already if you already know what happened in signing day you didn't want to talk, uh, hear grant talk about all the potential recruits just go ahead and skip ahead and uh once it becomes official then we'll talk more about it next week and also again i uh, just want to reiterate uh thanks to josh mcquishan and the sooner scoop guys for a lot of that information that that you borrowed there grant that you mentioned that it was on uh, their podcast a lot of it and uh you know Go listen to those guys' podcasts. Not that they need any more help because they get plenty of followers and listeners over there. All right. I have a long thing now on Kyler Murray. So I'm going to say my piece, Grant, and then you jump in with your take. Hold on a second, Lee. Before you start, though, I, I did want to bring this up kind of, you know, right right when you introduced me. But And I haven't read this at all. I, I don't know what you're about to say. But... I think I know exactly what your Kyler Murray take is going to be, and I'm not going to say it right now, but I will revisit when you're done, and I will let you know if I if I nailed it or not. So you, you're going to have to be honest, though, because I, I could just say something, and then no matter what, you're going to say, yep, that's what I thought. No, I, I'll be honest, and if I get it wrong, I will tell the audience exactly what I thought it was going to be. So with that in mind, you may you may continue with your Kyler Murray take, or begin. <laughs> All right, so Murray will indeed play baseball again this spring. Now, last year it wasn't that big of a deal because we all knew that Baker Mayfield was back in 2017 as the starter. So even though Murray's attention in the spring wasn't fully on football, we didn't think too much of it because at best he would be the backup quarterback. Now, a year later, and Murray is the unquestioned starter heading into 2018. 
The only way that changes is, is if Murray looks dreadful in the spring and then again in fall camp and Austin Kendall looks polished and ready to go. If that happens, well, that would be a whole other story. But let's talk about Murray playing baseball again. I don't go onto message boards. I'm not 100% sure how Sooner Nation feels about Murray playing baseball when he's going to be the starting quarterback six, seven months from now. But I do know at least one person who is not a fan of the idea. That person knows who he is. And it's a legitimate concern. It would make sense for Murray to drop baseball now and focus all his attention on being the next great starting OU quarterback for the next two years. And in my opinion, if I'm looking ahead to the 2018 football season and want the best possible scenario for the Sooners, I would want Kyler Murray not playing baseball and fully devoted to football. But I totally get why Murray is still playing baseball. I think Murray is making this decision for his future. He knows that if he quits baseball to focus on football, his baseball skills will likely deteriorate. If his skills deteriorate, he won't have a legitimate shot at getting drafted or getting picked up by a major league organization in the future. Murray clearly loves both football and baseball, but right now the most logical future for him is in baseball. He was a top prospect coming out of high school. In fact, he famously opted out of the MLB first-year player draft back in 2015 because he wanted to signal to MLB teams, don't draft him because he was going to go to college to play football and baseball at Texas A&M. Murray didn't play much last year in baseball. He served as speed off the bench, which is not surprising. He had 12 stolen bases and 13 attempts in 2017. But when given the opportunity, the guy couldn't hit. A buck 22 and 49 at-bats was his average. This spring, Murray is the projected center fielder for OU, so he's going to get a lot more playing time. And with more playing time, Murray will likely play better than last season. Of course, baseball is a sport where you need at-bats consecutively. It's all about rhythm. It's all about confidence. Those guys who are great pinch hitters and are able to get up to the plate and not see live pitching for a week and be productive and get hits in the late innings, those guys are incredible. They have, they have major skill. Anyways, Murray playing baseball doesn't mean he doesn't care deeply about football. He does. Murray is just protecting himself for the future, and I don't blame him. So, Grant, what do you think? Is that what you thought I'd say? Actually, no at all. I thought, I here's what I, honest to God, I thought your take is going to be, because this would have been so Lee, and I'm actually, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed you didn't go this way. I thought your take was going to be, I think like ideally and logically, Kyler should probably drop baseball to focus on football, just because, I mean, he's, it looks like he's better at football, but I thought your take was going to be, but it's probably a good idea that he's playing baseball because baseball is so hard that comparatively, when he goes back to play football, it's going to be easy for him. I thought that's what your take was going to be. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's like something I would say because it's true. I mean, baseball is significantly more difficult than football. Granted, Murray does play quarterback, potentially the most difficult position in sports to play. So it's not like he's going from baseball and trying to hit 90-mile-an-hour fastballs and a bunch of breaking stuff and change-ups and then going to play like, corner or linebacker or offensive line I mean not, not saying that it's easy to play those well you know I'll be honest, like I mean I played some high school corner and safety and it, it wasn't that difficult <laughs> and let's be honest I mean high school football in Minnesota compared to division one college football yeah I, I mean I'm I think it, I'm just gonna it, leave that right there 
I'm just saying from from an elite from an elite athlete standpoint, I think it's 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 pretty inarguable at this point that it's it'd be a lot easier for an elite athlete to step in and and excel, you know, playing football than it would be for baseball. For instance, you know who's who's the best athlete in the world? Probably LeBron James. You know, he would. I, I I'd assume if he stepped onto a professional baseball field right now, he would he would look silly. Um, whereas you know I I'm pretty convinced if he were to step into an NFL training camp this summer he'd probably be a pro bowler before the end of the season anywho that's you know that's of course we would never be able to measure that or anything like that but um anyway back to Kyler Murray playing baseball in the spring Lee um because I'm 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 assuming everyone wants to know my thoughts on this um you may be disappointed or surprised to think that I don't think this is that big of a deal actually like at all um I, I think, you know, ideally it would be better if he was just focusing on football. But at the same time, I think he probably proved last year that he's completely capable of handling both of these things. I understand the expectations are different this year because he is ex- expected to be the starting quarterback. Um, uh, Kyler just kind of seems like a guy who's able to handle this stuff. And you know what? If he wants to do both, more power to him. And you you, you are noting here that Lincoln Riley and Skip Johnson say they have a good plan in place uh, for making it all work. I tend to accept that I, I'm assuming they would I, I don't think either of those guys would agree to this if, if they didn't have a good plan you know Lincoln Riley and Skip Johnson both want want what's best for their teams and like I said I doubt they would agree to this if they didn't have some sort of plan worked out so you know what I I, I don't think it's a problem until it's made a problem and we're based off of this past season, Lee, or at least last year at this time, it wasn't really much of a problem at all, and I'm just not expecting it to be this time around yet either. Um, I I agree that I think his future probably is in baseball, but at the same time, you you never really know. You have no idea how he's going to react to to getting the starting job and how well he's going to play. I know he's a small guy, but you know, being small is is not always a death knell for the NFL, so, so we'll see. Sure, yeah, and I'm not saying that uh, you know he's he's – certainly not going to play in the NFL or something like that I mean maybe he maybe he does one day but uh, I mean for him as far as I'm concerned and again I I haven't talked to the guy I, I, I haven't said hey Kyler why are you playing both baseball and football still uh, I'm just saying based on I put myself in his shoes and having played baseball and football granted not at the level that Kyler Murray's playing them um, I you know, it's just he baseball is very difficult but there's a, there's a pretty good chance that he could play that professionally if football doesn't work out especially considering he was one of the top prospects in college baseball coming out of high school and and if he didn't play football he would have likely gotten drafted I mean who knows if he would have if it would have panned out you know after getting drafted I mean of course when players get drafted and go from high school to the minor leagues go to you know they're in the system for years before they see the major league action depending on how good they are Uh, but anyways that's that's kind of my thoughts on that I I'm, I'm kind of more with you I don't think it's that big of a deal um, however, I, I do think if he was only on football, uh, that certainly would help him more so going into this next year than it is now with him playing both sports. But, uh, you know, I mean, he's done it his entire life. Uh, he's already got one year under his belt at OU. Uh, I mean, Pete Hughes and, and Bob Stoops figured it out last year. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how much he plays this spring for the baseball team because he didn't get a whole lot of, lot of time last year. And I'm, I'm curious to see if he's improved and he's gotten better. Yeah, we'll see. And I'm, you know, I, I remember last year, I, I kind of, I, I was curious as to how he he was going to do in the spring playing baseball, you know, because he, he came in as a very highly touted baseball prospect. So I was just, I was just kind of curious. And of course he, he ended up not having a great season, but Lee, I did want to point out, you know, he did only hit 122, but he did have a 317 on base percentage. 
So he's a guy who's who's going to take a walk, which is good. But yeah, he you took know. a lot of walks. He also struck out, I think, twenty times. He struck out so. twenty times, so that's that's bad. Yeah, so he he needs work at the plate. Which I mean, what a shocker! It's Division One college baseball. It's not easy. Hitting is and hard. It's it's incredibly difficult. So so that's my Kyler Murray thoughts. That's Grant's Kyler Murray thoughts. More Oklahoma football news coming out actually on Tuesday, the day we're recording this. Six Sooners, it looks like, will be at the NFL Combine. The NFL uh, NFL.com has released the names of all the players uh, on their website. Uh, that's NFL.com. And uh, the six Sooners on the list, Baker Mayfield, Mark Andrews, Orlando Brown, Dimitri Flowers, Oboe, and Jordan Thomas. Now, I'm not sure if this means that all six guys will be there at the Combine, but if I had to guess, I bet all of them are there. Uh, and just one side note, I saw on Twitter earlier today and I'll, I'll i'll give credit to the franchise uh, radio station here in oklahoma city i guess they had baker mayfield on on tuesday and i saw a, a a quote on a tweet saying that mayfield said that he would be at the combine and do everything so as of february early february it sounds like mayfield will be at the combine um, i mean I, I have in my notes here that you know maybe mayfield would not go to the combine if let's say the browns promised him between now and then that they'd take him at number one um you know you know what would be the point of him going at that point but uh i you know it sounds like baker mayfield wants to go according to uh some information i saw from the franchise so that's neat it's all i mean anytime baker mayfield's gonna throw a football around and and you know i'm i'm almost uh i don't want to say i'm all in like I'll, I'll be there you know live watching but i'm interested to see how that goes down to put it that way yeah i, I am too i i think um Wow, Jordan Thomas got invited. See, yeah, that's the uh, that's interesting, and and I was going to ask you, you know, moving forward, you know, kind of the, the I was going to also note, just note real quick, pro day for OU is on March fourteenth, so who knows if if some of the guys that are invited to the combine will just use the pro day kind of as their combine and then skip the the full NFL combine. I guess that's certainly a possibility. It's a possibility. I, I highly doubt any of these guys skip the combine. I, I don't. Um, so I, I guess the first thing that stands out to me is I, I guess I'm just I, I'm shocked that Jordan Thomas got an invite and Stephen Parker didn't I guess so um, yeah. and I think that yeah, that's, that's, that's surprising and that's this is this is actually the first I've seen this list Lee I didn't see this at all today so um, I mean maybe it can change maybe they can add stuff I mean it's early yeah and I'm sure you can add stuff too but yeah Jordan Thomas getting an invite and not Stephen Parker is is surprising to me it reminds me I, I'm pretty sure Jordan Evans didn't get an invite last year. He ended up getting drafted kind of in the later rounds. That's right, yeah, because uh, him and him and uh, Joe Mixon were the big, the they, big yeah. uh, guys to watch at OU's Pro Day since Mixon mm-hmm. wasn't at the Combine either. And so, yeah, if you remember, I think Jordan Evans just put up some freak, ridiculous yeah. like, testing, yeah. testing numbers at the OU Pro Day. So um, that's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. I'm just I'm floored that Jordan Thomas got the invite. I'm... So yeah, that's that's my question is is you know who are you most looking forward to watching at the combine? And I mean the easy answer is Baker Mayfield because like I said a moment ago, I like watching Baker Mayfield throw the football around. But but honestly, I'm curious to see how Jordan Thomas fares matched up against all these other potential NFL defensive backs because he lost his starting job late in the year. He he didn't have a very good senior season, and uh, this will be his chance to show that. I mean, I could, in the combine, you're there's not a whole lot of that's, that's, I mean, I guess defensive backs probably go through drills and they go one on one. And so, I mean, I guess we'll see if Jordan Thomas can can defend these these NFL 
potential NFL receivers one-on-one during drills, and we'll see how he does in the 40 and all the other, uh, obviously all the other uh, drills they do. Absolutely. I think, you know, I, I think he's probably going to test really well uh, with the physical stuff, I would guess. Uh, just because, I mean, he's he's over six feet tall. I know he's got really long arms. Uh, they, they love that for corners. Um, I, I'm curious as to how fast he'll run. I'm not sure about that, but you know, I I guess yeah, it'll all be about you know how well he does matching up against the other receivers. Um, I, that's interesting, but I guess you know of these other guys, I, I'm I'm probably most interested to see how Mark Andrews tests in terms of how fast he runs, um, and also um, like you know his, his his broad jump and stuff like that. I want to see you know if he's if he really is kind of a physical freak like that. And also, I, I guess I'd I, I'd be pretty curious to see how well flowers and oboe run i'd be really curious i I wouldn't be surprised if like would it surprise you if flowers ran like a four five or a four six lee no no it wouldn't and i i anticipate him to run um i mean he'll he'll be at least four seven which i guess is not that fast i think my best time ever when i was real fast in high school i think was a four seven but again that was hand time so who knows who knows if that was even accurate um yeah, I, I, Dimitri Flowers, I would not be shocked if he was, you know, I'm going to predict right now. I think he'll be at least a 4-6-40. I think he's pretty, he's, he's a lot quicker than he looks. Yeah, I think he's, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, know, you remember the the touchdown he scored at Ohio State. I mean, he just outran those defensive backs of the end zone. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he, he's I, I think he's certainly a sub 4-8 guy. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I would like it, it wouldn't completely floor me if he ran in the four fives but yeah I, I would probably expect somewhere in the four sixes or four sevens with flowers and even with oboe I, I would I'd be curious if he can break like a four six or a four five that, that would be interesting um yeah. yeah and then and then I guess Baker too I'm I'm curious as to what Baker will run I bet I, I bet he'll be probably around four eight or four nine uh but you know we'll see we'll see and then I'm I'm curious too I, I suppose with Andrews i I he he kind of always seems like someone who's not particularly fast. I wonder if that's just because he's just kind of a big hulking guy. I, I'm I'm curious as to how fast his time will be, and also in the the shuttle too. So you know, I I, I actually really love the combine. I find it fascinating. Um, I'm and so what we're about we're about three weeks from the combine. I think. Yeah, it begins. Uh, yeah, it's at the end of this month, at the end of February. So. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up Andrews. I'm curious to see how fast he is too, because to me, honestly, he doesn't he doesn't look that fast out there a lot of the times. I, I don't know if it's just one of those it's one of those things where you you see a guy run and he just he looks slower than he really is. Um, but uh, I'm yeah, I'm curious to see what he runs as well. Uh, I know it's early on February. We still have a lot of time before the NFL draft. This year, it's at the end of April. Uh, the first round, I think, is April 26th. But if you had to guess right now, how many Sooners will be drafted in the first round, Grant? Um, if I if if I had to put a lot of money on it right now, and you know, with what I feel safe with saying, I would uh, right now what I feel one hundred percent just most safe with would be one. And I think I think I think as of right now, I think Baker is the only lock to go in the first round. Um, other than that, I I, th- I think Orlando Brown is likely. Um, and the other guys, you know, I don't know. I think I think we'll know about Mark Andrews after the combine. I, I feel like if, if he has a really nice combine performance, he's a guy who could go into the first round. Um, other than that, I don't see. I mean, Flowers obviously not. Oboe unless he's unless he just puts on a, just a show at the combine, and and obviously Jordan Thomas, I I doubt would would get drafted barring 
again, a, a show at the combine or a pro day. So, so as of right now, there's one that I'm 100% sure of. And I think Baker is Baker's likely to be drafted in the top 15 picks. Um, after that, I, I, I think Orlando Brown is, is likely to go in the first 32 picks, but I, I wouldn't say I'm 100% certain on that right now. I am 100% certain that Mayfield and Brown will go in the first round. I think there's no doubt that the team will take a big 6'8", 300-whatever, 50-pound behemoth Orlando Brown. There's no way I'm just worried drop out of the first round. I'm worried he's not going to test well at the combine. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he, run, or if, if he runs a, a really disappointing time and also wouldn't be surprised if he, if he doesn't put up a lot of weight in terms of uh, bench press. I, I bet... I, I don't know. I I could really see Orlando Brown having a bad combine. That that's all. That that's where I'm, right. that's where I'm coming from on that. And as far as Andrews go, I I have not looked too in depth at every single team as far as their needs go. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where will a team really need a tight end? And uh, I mean, he's he's at this point, he's definitely a fringe first rounder. And and also too, what is a team going to want in a tight end? Are they going to want a pass catching first time? type of tight end like Mark Andrews or they're going to want more of a physical guy that they can have run block like a Mike Gusecki from Penn State um, and there's probably other guys too that I can't even think of right now but those are the two main guys I, I that come to mind as far as potential first round talents at the tight end position um, all right good good that's good uh, good combine talk um, want to talk a little OU basketball I, we probably shouldn't spend too much time on this because OU's playing some poor basketball right now grant it's hard i i i have too many thoughts about the ou basketball team it's hard for me to get them straight to be completely honest with you because i just i you're right i it's it seems like it's something different every game um but it's about what ails them you know so they they lost last night so that's monday night recording this on tuesday they lost to west virginia 75 to 73 lee did you watch that game it was really one of the more frustrating basketball games i've ever watched Yep, I was at work uh, Monday night, and I anchored the 6 and 10 o'clock uh, sportscasts on Channel 9 here in Oklahoma City. And during the uh, each each sportscast, I tossed out to sports director Dean Blevins, who was in Norman live at the game. And, and so he was there. And, but, yeah, I watched it all on TV, and it was just ugly, man. It was just a really ugly game. And Oklahoma had so many opportunities. Uh, main thing that comes to mind is just how how poor both teams were in the first five minutes of the second half. Nobody could any could hit any shots. It was like it was like if I if if I took uh, you know the soul of every player on the court and was playing basketball. It was just like five on five, a bunch of leads. That's what it would look like. Just a bunch of misses. Like I think at one point they were like one for nineteen combined both teams, which. That's pretty much what it would be if, if I was playing uh, five on five against myself, uh, which is awful for Division One college basketball. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, and it's frustrating too because Oklahoma still stayed in it, stayed in it, and then in the end, uh, just just couldn't pull it off. And and um, I don't know what what were your main takeaways from the game? Well, it just it just seems like they they've at least in my mind, at least since since the end of December, the beginning of January. I don't remember the last time they they put together a complete game. It's either you know one half or the other, and I thought, um, and they can never put you know both things together. It's for instance on 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 Monday nightly, I thought they actually played uh, pretty well defensively in the second half of that game against West Virginia. In fact, I thought they played really well defensively at times in the second half. They only gave up uh, they only gave up twenty five points in the second half, and I mean that's 
that's awesome, you know, compared to, to how they've been doing. And I, I, I keep bat tracking on what I said a few weeks ago, Lee, that their defense is awful. I mean, they're one <laughs> of the, it's so bad. And they're, and it's, and this is why it's so frustrating to watch is because it, it looks, and maybe this is just a basketball thing, but when teams play bad defense, it always looks effort-based. They're one of the laziest defensive teams I have ever seen. I mean, it is, it's just, it, it, it seems, it seems to be a lack of want to, at least that's that's how I observed it. Well, I've been saying the defense has been bad all season long, and they've just been outscoring everybody. It's still the highest. Well, uh, Duke might be the highest scoring team now after Oklahoma only scored 73. Uh, Sooners are averaging 89.9 a game going into that, that matchup. But uh, what's most, mostly frustrating to me is that the past two games, against Texas, now against West Virginia, Oklahoma's defense has actually allowed fewer than 80 points. This is the first time that's happened since Big 12 play started. But then the offense is coming up short. Uh, Trey Young is going through spurts. He gets hot, but then he gets cold. Uh, sometimes uh, Christian James will have a, you know, Christian James, uh, Rashard Odoms, and and Jemani McNeese all played very well against Texas. Uh, Brady Manick did not. Uh, last night's game, uh, Monday night's game against West Virginia, uh, it was kind of a mixed bag all the way around. I mean, there's some, I thought Trey Young played, played okay. It was bizarre that he only had, what, one assist, and it didn't come until very, very late in the game. Uh, but I, the defense weirdly has gotten better in the last two games. It's just now the offense is letting them down, which is which is frustrating. But I'll say it again. I sound like a broken record at this point. Yeah, it it's bad, but they still have plenty of time to, to iron things out. Granted, I know that now they need to start winning some games because I suppose an NCAA tournament berth is not a lock anymore, especially if they lose another one, two, three games in a row. It's going to get real dicey. Yeah, I mean, I, I they're still in, in in pretty safe territory right now. I think they, in terms of you know who they've beaten, it's they you can put their resume up against anyone in the country. Still, it's it's still about as good as anyone. Um, but still, I mean, there's you, it's as simple as this. You you have to protect your home court, uh, especially in situations like this, and especially this season when they've when they've when they really haven't shown the ability to be an effective you know shooting team on the road. Um, and other things as well. I mean, there's so many things you can point towards. You know, a couple weeks ago, you and, and Bedlam, they're up by three. They hit a three at the buzzer. It's in an overtime. That one hurts. They're up by 10 with 10 minutes to go against Texas. I mean, you you have to win that game. And then against West Virginia on Monday nightly, just the, the first six minutes of the second half where they, where they held West Virginia scoreless and they only made a two-point dent in that lead. And, and I knew then that was basically their chance. And it, it turned out to not actually be their chance. You know, they, they had to ball, they had the ball at the very end of the game with a chance to win or tie. So it, it just, just a really, really frustrating game, especially uh, the first half of that game against West Virginia. There, they were just atrocious defensively. They were so bad defensively. Uh, and West Virginia didn't miss either, but they did have a lot of open shots. To, they, they didn't, they didn't miss. And so it's, it, it's frustrating in two ways. One, they were so bad defensively and West Virginia had so many open shots number two West Virginia is uh they shoot was it 30 percent on the year from three and in the first half they were eight of 13 couldn't miss a guy who uh who's the guy who had he had only made like five threes the entire the entire year coming into the game he made five in like a two minute span so it's that's it, it's frustrating and I know as you know I, I'm sure there's lots of teams that can point to that and 
I, I think it does come down to it is, you know, you can't give up so many open threes. And if, if there's anyone, you know, listening to this show who's a little more versed in basketball, and I, I would love an answer on this. I, I, I think I think the Sooners man to man switching concept on defense is just an atrocious defensive scheme. Uh especially when you don't have a lot of good individual defenders on your team. And so if there's anyone here who is, who's a bit of a better basketball mind, you know, if you want to email the show or anything like that and explain to us, you know, why they would stick with that, uh, that defensive scheme, they've done it all year. It seems like in, in the second half against West Virginia, they did go to a bit of a matchup zone and they played pretty well defensively. So maybe we'll see more of that going forwardly, but yeah, they, it, as of right now, it just seems like they, they can't put it all together at once. I have a OU defense story that I want to double check with uh, with my source who told me the story. It has to do with o- OU at practice, as as all of you may probably know. Lon Kruger opens up every one of his practices to anybody. Anybody can go. Uh, the media, fans, anybody can go watch. And uh, I was talking to one of the guys I work with, Brian, at, at News 9, and he was telling me uh, something about OU the Sooners defense at a practice he was at uh, a few weeks ago or about a month ago. And I want to iron out the details before I tell it. So I'll tell it, I'll tell it uh, in the future on this show, but it's, it's one of those stories where you're like, eh, that does not sound good. Anyways, moving on. Finally, let's talk a little Super Bowl, Grant. And uh, once again, you're in Minneapolis. You always record this show in Minnesota, that's where you are. That's where you're based out of. A couple times uh, we've been together and recorded it uh, once. I think we've recorded it in Minnesota, and then also we recorded it uh, together in Oklahoma. But for the most part, you're you're in Minneapolis, so that's where the Super Bowl was. What was it like this past week, the past couple weeks, with the Super Bowl being in the city where you live? So I'm about 10 miles outside of Minneapolis, so I'm, I'm pretty close. And I'll be honest with you, Lee, for the last two weeks, I tried to stay as far away from Minneapolis as humanly possible. But having that been said, that it didn't necessarily matter because, yeah, I mean, it was uh, especially uh, Thursday was kind of the the day where it seemed like a lot of things changed. But it it just kind of seemed like the entire metro area was just packed for the entire weekend. And it was everywhere. Every restaurant you went to, not even just in Minneapolis, but just in the surrounding suburban areas, packed everywhere. Um, You see a a lot of... uh, a lot of cars with different license plates in town. Also watching a lot of stuff on TV. It was just kind of cool. For instance, on on Friday night, I was watching the Timberwolves game on TV and, you know, seeing Bill Belichick and Antonio Brown and, and a bunch of other celebrities courtside at the game, I thought was just kind of a weird, wild thing. And there was, you know, I saw lots of tweets and other stories, you know, about uh, other celebrities who were in town all week. So it was kind of weird. It was, it, it was a little different where, you know, the, the city you live was, was kind of the spotlight of the world for, for that weekend. And it was, it was interesting. And just, uh, uh, it's, I don't think I had ever realized how many people come in for the Super Bowl, uh, like famous people and how, how much of an event it is. And I've, just countless tweets and stories about, you know, this celebrity is in, is in Minneapolis. And, and I think it's pretty cool. And, um, you know, I heard a lot of other secondhand stories about people seeing NFL players who are just randomly here. And it makes you, makes you think, you know, how the NFL must do a great job of getting these guys out here to, you know, to, to advertise their brand and, and to, you know, Baker Mayfield was here and we saw that. That was pretty cool. So, um, I don't know, Lee, it, it was interesting. It didn't, it didn't go ex- at all kind of how I thought. I thought it was going to be a little, a little crazier, but it seems like the, the Super Bowl committee that put it on here in Minneapolis just did a hell of a job. Everything went smoothly. 
Uh, it's just it's too bad the the weather was so bad the the week leading up. It snowed it snowed four times on four separate <laughs> days, and the week leading up, and it was it got below zero every single day uh, the week leading up to the Super Bowl. And Lee and and Sunday for the Super Bowl. Uh, the the low was minus 15 I think in the morning it was minus 30 with a wind chill so it was people who came from out of town they they got their money's worth with the Minnesota experience that's for sure yeah I mean I think a lot of people just don't understand how cold it gets in Minnesota I mean you and I I mean you still live there I lived there obviously growing up for a lot of years and I live I lived even farther north four hours north of you for a year and a half where it I mean, at one point, I, I took a picture of the my weather app, and it was like the wind chill was like negative 52. It was just one of the most ridiculous times. Uh, it, maybe even more than that. But anyways, people just don't get how cold it is until they actually experience it. So nice to see. Uh, well, the thing is, though, Eagles and, and Patriots fans, though, I mean, they're from, they're from cold weather climates. But still, New England, Boston, Philly, it's, it's still not the same as, as Minneapolis, and, and it just people think like chicago and and those is you know new york it's it's still it's 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 super cold it it's not the same in, in minneapolis so is that is that how you would uh, describe it as well yeah i don't i i it's it's hard to explain it actually like how cold minus 30 wind chill is i mean it is it's it's actually painful it hurts so yeah once you get to minus 30 everything after that really you can't even tell it's yeah, all. <laughs> it, it it does all it does it does all feel the same after that. It's 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 honestly just different levels of numbness after that. So, <laughs> but basically, you have a garage and that your car doesn't freeze and your battery doesn't die and you're not stranded. That's just stuff that mm-hmm. people don't think about that that don't live in in cold climates. And so, yeah, for for anybody thinking about visiting Minnesota, don't think about visiting here outside of. Well, let's put it this way. End of May to the middle of October is when you want to visit Minnesota. And other than that, the, the weather will probably be terrible. As for the game, you and I, we both picked the Eagles. So how about that? We both predicted it correctly, and my 11-year streak was ended by Nick Foles and Doug Peterson. How Con- about that? Congratulations, Lee. I, I'm... Honestly, I'm actually kind of disappointed you got that right. I, I would have, I, if I were you, I would have wanted to keep getting it wrong. But just because that's, I mean, no. that's impressive. That's impressive. No, so, I, I, but I think is I love, I love football. I love the NFL. And that streak, even though I was making fun of it, it really actually bothered me because I think I, I handicapped a lot of these games pretty well, especially last year's game. Like that was ridiculous. And most people were on the Pats last year. Once again, most people were on the Pats again this year. But this year was more kind of like a, a feeling and kind of like, yeah, I liked Philly's offense. Even with Foles, I thought it was a lot more dynamic than Jacksonville's. I didn't really like New England's defense very much, and I liked Philly's defense. Well, I mean, Philly's defense got torched, <laughs> and, and it still didn't matter. I mean, Nick Foles was fantastic. He played exactly the way he played against the Vikings for the most part. Didn't get touched all night. And uh, I liked what you said. Your opening take was really good. I, I you know it's, it's really cool that... Doug Peterson just outcoached one of the best coach, probably the best coach of all time in Bill Belichick. And it just it looked like Eagle, the Eagles were just sharper in a lot of different ways. And and, um, you know, aside from all the offensive stuff that you talked about in your opening take, what else stood out to you in the game? Well, first of all, Lee and I, we you're right. We both picked the Eagles. And so this is I think I've this is, I believe, 11 of 13 years now that I've gotten the the correct Super Bowl pick. So it's nothing new for me. It's just ho hum for me. 
Oh, um, shut up. I, did we pick a score? I can't remember if we picked scores. We didn't pick a score, and so that's yeah, what I was going to say lame. next. Outside of actually, you know, getting the the result of the game correctly, the game did not transpire in the way that I thought it would at all. So, I mean, that that I um, I, I thought it was going to be a defensive game. I thought it was. I, I thought it was if the Eagles were going to win, it was going to be like a twenty four to twenty one type game um, with. You know, with 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 the Patriots probably putting up a lot of yards, but Brady getting like sacked a bunch is kind of how I I looked at it, and he didn't get sacked once, or he did, he got sacked once, and it was the the fumble. So, uh, other than you know the offensive stuff, like you said, Lee, what stood out to me was it, it was uh, I'll I'll bring this up, and it was a, it was a feeling that I had during the game, and I think it's notable just for you know who the Eagles were playing. They were playing the Patriots, and I think you kind of always uh, associate the Patriots with calm, collectiveness, poise especially in those moments. But Lee, as, as the game kind of progressed and as, as the Eagles sort of marched down the field in their very first play, they looked comfortable. I just kind of like a quiet, calm confidence for the Eagles sort of, sort of went over me. And even, even when the Patriots took the lead later in the game in the fourth quarter, I had no doubt that the Eagles were going to drive down the field and score and win. Like I I just kind of, it was, it was weird. It was one of those things where, it was Nick Foles of all people proved to me in that game that like he just wasn't gonna lose. How weird is that? I mean, a month ago, the guy was awful. I mean, the guy was just awful, and it, it's just I just I can't get the two the Oakland game on Christmas and the Dallas game where I, I think he didn't play a whole lot. He might have played a half, and they did, like didn't score any points. And even the Atlanta game where if Julio Jones goes up and makes that catch in the end zone in the last, like, the final seconds, I mean, Philly loses probably that game. And then all of a sudden, boom, against the Vikings, against the best defense in, in football, and then against the Pats, and not, not a great defense, but a, a good situational defense. Nick Foles is is fantastic, and, and it just goes to his, his ability to trust Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson's ability to trust Nick Foles, and clearly he watched a lot of film. He knew what the heck New England was doing, and he just made a lot of great plays. I mean, to, to, to borrow Mike Stoops' line, Mike Stoops always likes to talk about making plays. Nick Foles made a lot of plays the last two games, and he made a lot of um, amazing throws. I mean, you could say the defenses didn't play that well, and yeah, a lot there is some bad defense played, but a lot of the times it was Tom Brady and Nick Foles just making really good throws. Yeah, Lee, there were three throws that stick out to me. Just in the One is the... the, the uh, two of his touchdown passes. So the one to uh, to uh, what's his name? The the really famous guy from South Carolina. Why can't Alshon I even Jeffrey. think of his Alshon Jeffrey? Thank you. This happens to me sometimes. Everybody, Alshon Jeffrey. That was just that was a perfect throw. Oh my god, great um, throw, great catch the, too. Yep the the controversial touchdown to Corey Clement was God. I can't even begin to describe <laughs> how good of a throw that was. I mean that was just just dropping just dropping the ball right into the basket. Insane throw. And another one, Lee, I don't remember exactly when it happened. I do think it was in the second half. It was to Nelson Aguilar. Um, and it was kind of like a little 20 yard. Um, I'll have to go back and look at it. It was, uh, he, he completed it between, uh, you know, I, I think it was cover three. He com- he completed it between, but he, he kind of threw it up towards the sideline and I'll have to, I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah, no, I remember uh, that on. play. I, I mean, based on where the, the players were, it was probably, it might've been cover two. Cause it was kind of like in that cover two zone with the corner and then in between the safety. But, uh, cause I, yeah, it was a great catch by Aguilar too on the sideline. Uh, yeah, of course. And then also Lee, I, I mean, would of course be remiss not to bring up, um, 
I, I wanted to, the reason why I fit in that little blurb about Lincoln Riley in my opening take is because it is my official take. This is my official opinion. I think the Eagles stole that play from OU in the Rose Bowl, and they put their, they put their own little special tweak on it. After the game, Nick Foles said, that has been in our playbook for a month for all of the playoffs, and we've just been waiting for the right time to bring it out. I think they saw that in the Rose Bowl, and they put it in their in their playbook. That is my take. And I'm, there's nothing anyone could ever say that would dissuade me from that. I'm sure they got the idea. I mean, it was there. They put a little different twist on it than, Oh, you had. Um, but yeah, it, because, I mean, Mayfield took the snap in the Rose Bowl. and, and He was and, under center, but yeah, it was... So yeah, Foles started under center, and then he started... Um, he, he went like he was going to audible. In fact, OU has run variations of that in the past with Dimitri Flowers out of just a wildcat. Um, and, then they ju- and then they ran the exact same play that the Sooners did off of that look, just the wildcat, and then... Um, that's a great play, by the way. That that's such a good that's that's such a good play, and it's it's like it's too bad it's such a good play because I feel like I feel like there's only gonna be like two or three more good uses out of that play, just like nationally and publicly, before it never works ever again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean you're gonna have to find a different variation, a different way to run it, because um, like you know you see the quarterback walking up like he's oddballing. I mean. The defense is gonna oh he oh watch the snap watch the quarterback whereas like with Baker Mayfield it was like you know he he handed it off on the end around and then went out so like I mean all those plays and those situations are the defensive coordinators are always gonna be saying don't forget about the quarterback don't forget about the quarterback but yeah I'm I'm kind of with you that it could be ruined by now um, and also too I I think on the broadcast they showed a, a replay. I think that I guess the Bears ran it in like last like not this past season but like the season prior with uh oh uh who's the old USC quarterback? Um geez Matt Barkley. Leinert. No Barkley. Barkley, John David Booty, <laughs> uh, Mark Matt, Sanchez, apparently Carson ba- Palmer. Apparently the Bears ran that with Matt Barkley um in like week seventeen of two years ago. So the the exact play. So maybe uh maybe they took a, f- a little bit from that as well. Um, let's see. Uh, you mentioned that that Clement catch that was controversial. I mean, I I thought it was pretty clear that he caught it and it was a catch. I don't I don't I don't know. And also too, I've I've got two official people that back me up. Uh, Dean Blandino and Mike Pereira both tweeted out that it was the right call. So I don't I don't understand these people that want to go ahead and say that that was a bad call and and there was like some sort of conspiracy theory or something there where oh we can't let the Patriots get this call or something like that. I don't know. How did you feel about that play? Um, okay, I guess I I disagree with you on this because the way that we've been interpreting the rule that absolutely should have been incomplete, he bobbled the ball. There was a, there was a period where he did not have two feet down and the ball was not secured. Like the, he literally didn't have the ball in his hands. So no, I, 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 I think they, no, seriously, like, no, I mean, you can I, go frame by frame. There was a moment where he literally did not have the ball in his hands and it was after he got his second foot down. And it was it was for a split second, and I know I, I I agree. I think they should have upheld it just just as a matter of principle because I thought I mean you're right. It looked like he caught it and he bobbled it with like with in a split second where like I mean to the you know to the naked eye you probably wouldn't even be able to see that if it wasn't for instant replay slow mo. So I I think I I think in situations like that honestly like. I, I kind of I kind of err to the side of like Colin Cowherd, where I think we should only be stopping stuff in, in egregious situations, and that was one of those things where you see it and it's like okay, it's it's literally just like a split second 
the naked eye can't even pick this up. So I'm okay with them uh, not overturning that call. But if you're going by how they've been interpreting that rule, they absolutely should have. Uh, it should have been ruled incomplete. There's nothing you can say that will dissuade me about that. They got that. I mean, by by the letter of the law and how it's been interpreted, they got that wrong. Okay, well, here's I'm going to say something that's going to dissuade you from that because I, I think most people are are confusing two things. We've been kind of conditioned to think that stuff like this is incomplete. But the thing is, though, the ball doesn't pop out at the end. The whole survive the ground thing doesn't doesn't come to this one. And I know that's not what you're saying, but I feel like a lot of people are forgetting that the fact that he held on to the ball the entire time. According to Dean Blandino, the official he used to be the head of officials. He tweeted out last night, said the issue is control of the football. And he says it looks like he has it initially, which like he does. He catches the ball, gets both feet down and bounds. He says there's there is some some movement of the ball, but it's not enough to say that he lost control of the football. So the call should stand. And that's the point. Like he caught the ball. Yeah, like it kind of moved a little bit, but he always had it and he had two feet down. That's a catch. So and that's always been a catch. I don't remember any other time where that's been like. Well, Lee, the, 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 the crux of this, Lee, was that even Blandino admitted that it did look like he lost control for a split second. The problem with that is he lost control simultaneously as his as his foot was on the, the inbounds line. That That's the issue. And I like I've said, I, I think they should have upheld the call and they did. But if, if you're literally going to break it down frame by frame, that should have been an incomplete pass. He did like that. You can you can literally stop it. When he does not have control of the ball, literally, his hands are not controlling the ball, See, and his I, foot is I, I on the out of bounds line. I think his hand, I think his glove, his his left hand is always in con- in contact with the football. It's just See, it's, but this it's is, somewhat loose. So like he's he's got it. I mean he's always got it. It's so always, Lee, I you 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 outline this in our outline here. You say. He says, people who say the NFL has to fix the catch rule annoys Lee. And, like, I actually agree with you. That whole thing has annoyed me, too, because I've never been confused about what a catch is, which is why I am now confused about that one, because everything that I've ever known about this catch rule, which, in my opinion, has been very clear. I don't think it's never been not clear. This is a guy who thinks the Des Bryant thing was clearly not a catch and that that Calvin Johnson one was clearly not a catch based off the rule. Based off the rule. Based yeah. off the rule. This one I thought was clearly not a catch based off the rule. So that's that's See, why but those, you just mentioned two plays though that were based off of surviving the ground. This play had nothing to do with that. It was just based off of control of the ball. And he caught it and he got two feet down. And according to Blandino, who was his tweet, he said it's all about it's all about how like control and there's not enough evidence that he loses control. So that's why okay, it's a catch. Then maybe they need to clarify that because I or and then because because what they're doing there is he's he's making it slightly subjective to where because like I disagree with him that he had that he had control of the ball. I thought he did lose control of it. So that's it says it, there's some movement, but there's not enough to think that he that he lost control of the football. That's totally subjective. And when I and like by the by the way they've been interpreting it, when you like when he is just losing a little bit of control of it right there, and he is and at the same time he's stepping on the out of bounce line. By how they've been, you know, officiating it, I, I, I guess I don't. And you're right. I, 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 th- I think it's been such an overblown storyline that, but, but this one really, I, I think this was the first one they really did actually get wrong, but that I've seen. And well, here's the thing, and 
you say how they've been officiating it. I think what we would what we really need is actually some examples of where this came into play and they actually did not uphold it and they called it incomplete because off the top of my head, I can't think of any. The only things that come to my mind are the surviving the ground stuff. With whether it be last night with uh, or not last not last night uh, the Super Bowl with Ertz's thing the the Jesse James uh, the Des Bryant uh, the Calvin Johnson and, and there's been even more I mean and, and this past year there was the weird like touchback stuff with the pylon which isn't even a catch thing but I I can't think of any others that come it's just all, the only ones that, that come to mind are the whole like did he hold on to the ball throughout the process of going to the ground yeah I mean fair enough I mean we don't we don't need to spend any more time on this but. I I'll yeah just 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 to confirm and and you know for everything I'm I I, I think they got it wrong and I'm I wow. but I'm not I, but I'm not but I I'm not upset wrong. about it but I I'm not upset about it so I I think I I I think I think he should have been rewarded the touchdown but based off of you know everything that they've been telling us lately that that was not a catch but uh, lastly just to, to to put a capper on this this topic. Uh, the reason why the people annoy me when they say the NFL has to fix the catch rule, those people never follow up with what the rule then should be. It's always it's always like, well, well, we know what a catch is. It's obviously a catch. It's like, well, that seems pretty subjective to me. That seems like, well, I mean, your idea of a catch is not going to be the same idea as anybody else's catch. So it's like if you're going to say it needs to fix the rule, you need to give out concrete uh, examples of what the new rule should be. And that's my point is like I think the rule is pretty clear. And so, yeah, I, I, I think yeah. the rule is incredibly clear, which is why like I'm not it's I, I, I guess. Yeah, I've always thought this was kind of an overblown issue because I, I, I think it's pretty easy to tell what a catch is and isn't based off of the rules that they've given us. I think there's a lot of people who are who are intentionally obfuscating the issue and making it more than it really is. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe they need to clarify some of the stuff. Like, for instance, I, in the rule book, it says, you know, what a football move is. Maybe they need to clarify exactly what a football move is going forward and stuff like that. But, you know, it, 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 it doesn't matter. I, I think it has um, it's it, it's probably it probably doesn't have as much of an effect on the game as, as people really think it does. All right. I'm glad we could hash that out. That was great. A couple more topics before we sign off on this edition of West of Everest. You talked about how Nick Foles, you know, played so well in the Super Bowl in your opening take and the RPO, the offense, and all the different concepts that was as different, you know, the, all the motion and you see a lot of a lot of running back wheel routes, things like that. Does Nick Foles winning a Super Bowl now legitimately give every NFL team hope moving forward? Um, I I can see why how it would be spun to think that way, but I, I guess just to be simple and answer your question, I got I have to say no, because Nick Foles played like Peyton Manning in that game. You know, it took, you know, Nick Foles is, is, is a journeyman NFL quarterback who, you know, going into the season was maybe not even arguably one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the league, but I mean, he certainly played like it in, in the game. I mean, he, he played like the second best quarterback in the world in the game. And if, if that's what it's going to take in those situations. So like, I, I know what you're asking. Are you, are you, it's like, are you asking, you know, does this give anyone who Case Keenum quarterbacks, you know, hope? Or throwing anyone else out there, I don't know. Uh, help me out here, Lee. Blake like, Bortles. Blake Bortles. I would say no, because they still had Nick Foles still had to play the best game of his life again to you know to win. So it's I, I all all that it's proven is that you can win a Super Bowl without an elite quarterback as long as that quarterback plays like an elite quarterback. And I don't think you can ever really count on you know this happening again. 
I, I, I who who saw this coming? I, I don't think anyone did. I mean, I guess you nobody nobody saw Foles playing back to back incredibly elite games where he's dropping amazing throws in. Of course not, because he's never really done that. Uh, but the, for me, it's it's not it's not that Nick Foles won. That's why you should have hope. It's that it doesn't take an elite level quarterback to win a Super Bowl if you have the right coach I mean that's that's basically what it is and if you have a coach that's a that's a cutting edge type coach that knows what he's doing and can get the most out of your quarterback and Nick Foles is not a bad quarterback I mean he he looked very bad under some bad coaches mainly Jeff Fisher comes to mind but he has he had that great year under Chip Kelly who's an offensive innovator and now apparently Doug Peterson knows what the heck he's doing too he made Carson Wentz look really good I mean granted Carson Wentz is very talented he 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 helped Carson Wentz look even better than maybe he would otherwise if he played for a different team and also it took him a month five six seven games or however long it was for Nick Foles and now he had Nick Foles looking looking like Carson Wentz uh maybe not as much with uh with the mobility but I mean he he changed the game plan for what Nick Foles does well, which is make nice reads and, and heck, I mean, make some accurate throws when called on to. So to me, it's, 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 if you're a fan of the NFL, of an NFL team, you have to think, get an offensive guy that, that actually wants to implement some concepts from college because college concepts are so far ahead of at the NFL. And, and it shows, and, and I'm surely, I mean, NFL defenses will probably figure it out and catch up to it. Defensive coordinators always do, but right now, that's what's gonna gonna help teams that don't have the Tom Brady, don't have the Drew Brees, uh, don't don't have the Andrew Lux, don't have um, I'm I'm missing a Ben Roethlisberger's, I'm missing all the probably other elite quarterbacks too, but it can make those teams viable if if you have the right coach and you have the right kind of system involved, and I think that's that's neat to see it it works so well in a game of that magnitude. So you're going with the take that you know if 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 you can if you can implement this this system maybe it's possible, um, and, and I guess I I would agree with that that you know at you know to a certain extent you have to have a damn good still, offensive line too yeah Philly's offensive line on Sunday night was spectacular, um, and, and also I, I do want to point out like the make make no mistake New England's defense is bad and has been bad all season long so don't um, and I I just want to say it one more time this is the first time that Tom Brady has gone to the Super Bowl with a bad defense and he had arguably the best passing game in the history of the NFL on Sunday night and it still wasn't good enough and so I that that's what it takes you know to to win a Super Bowl with a bad defense I, I just want to throw that out there um I'm not not starting anything I I, I think Brady's the best of all time but it's there, there, there's been a bit of good fortune that has gone into his his run. Is all I'm saying. Well, yeah, and just uh, the last part of the game. I mean, too, the, you you mentioned there's been a bit a bit of good fortune. Yes, Tom Brady is the best ever. But the thing is, though, everyone this past week that was talking about, oh yeah, the Patriots comfortable. I mean, Patriots by double digits. The Patriots has never won a Super Bowl by blowing anybody out. It's always been relatively close. Last year they won, you know, in overtime by six points. I think that might have been their biggest margin of victory in a Super Bowl was six points against the Falcons. It, it seems like it's always a field goal game. So even though it was Nick Foles and the Eagles, I, I mean, I know it's every single game is different, but the fact that the Patriots had never really blown had never blown anybody out in the Super Bowl, I kind of thought, well, it's kind of a, going on a limb to say that pay, the Patriots are all of a sudden going to just blow out a team this year, especially a Patriots team that didn't have a very good defense. All, all five of, of Tom Brady's Super Bowls have been won on the final play of the game. 
So it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of luck and fortune that goes into that. Not, you know, not taking away any of his accomplishments, but I, I, I did just want to throw that out there and it's, um, you know, maybe if we do this podcast long enough, you'll, you'll hear more, uh, you know, Tom Brady attacks by me, but, but we'll see who knows. Let's talk commercials. Did you watch much of the commercials? Yeah, I saw all of them. Okay, so I didn't see all of them. Uh, I I have there's three that that I really liked, and I I probably missed some, so that maybe I maybe I missed some good ones. But there's three that I really liked. Here's uh, let's see, I, no particular order. I really like the uh, the Australia thing with um, I can't even think of the guy's names, but uh, it's Kenny Powers and Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the Hemsworths. So that's Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Oh, it's not Kenny Powers. That's 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 his character's name. In oh, I movie. thought you What's were the... joking. That's yeah. His name's not. Yeah, it's not Kenny Powers. Now I'm I'm blanking out what his name is. Why can't I think of his name? Yeah, he's like a pretty well known actor, and he's in everything. I'll find it. This is don't this worry is about super it. Super embarrassing. Okay, so I like that commercial. It's it Danny wasn't... McBride. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so many Danny McBride things. So yeah, that whole thing was I didn't I knew nothing about it going in, and and I was I thought that was pretty clever. I thought that was really clever. And it was pretty funny, too, because some of the bits were good. So I like that one. Um, I also liked uh, the Tide commercial. I thought was brilliant. Very clever as well. Uh, pretty funny, too. How, like, I just like the the line of like, nope, it's about Tide. Look at all the clean clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so simple. It's like, yep. Yeah. Uh, and then oh, what's my third one that I liked a lot? There's a third one that I really liked. Oh, yeah, of course, the uh, the Odell Beckham and Eli Manning thing was, was funny. That was good. So. Wow, Lee, we are, yeah, if I had to pick three, those would also be my three favorite. Um, I would put, uh, out of those, I'd put the Australia one third. I really liked that one. I, those, those are, uh, those are, that one was kind of similar to the, to the Tide ads in the sense that it was very meta. Um, I, I like stuff like clever. that. Incredibly clever. Yeah. Like, like we've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, I, I did like the Odell and Eli one. I just, I, I. Weird fact about me. Actually, I really like the movie Dirty Dancing. If you've ever seen it, it's it's totally watchable. It's it's actually super entertaining, and the music is great. And that that last scene in Dirty Dancing, everyone loves. I thought that was hilarious. Um, Lee, I thought the Tide ad was 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 one of the best Super Bowl commercials I've ever seen. That was the the Tide ad is is by far the best one I th- I thought I saw. Um, I just there's just nothing that I disliked about that ad. It's per it just it was clever. It was it was funny. Uh, I really like David Harbor. That that was such a good ad. I've 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 honestly been replaying that ad in my mind uh, the last couple of days and just kind of laughing. It, it, it's funny. Just no, it's a tight ad. <laughs> just, <laughs> I, uh, I actually I didn't see that live. I had to I I went back and watched it on YouTube. So I I watched it last night uh, or on Monday night and I. So I hadn't even seen it yet. I didn't even see it on Sunday. And I, I was like, okay, everyone's talking about this Tide ad. I got to watch it. It's and, great. Uh, yeah, it's great. Great ad. Very clever. And there, there's a, I think there's a line near the end of it. David Harbour says, so is every Super Bowl commercial a Tide ad? And that's like, I'm not, this, this is about as deep into this stuff I'll get, guys. That is brilliant advertising right there. Yeah. It's brilliant. And I, and that's, that sort of stuff. I just, I kind of appreciate it. So I, 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 I did want to bring that up. I, I love that ad. I've watched it. Probably ten times. I'm looking forward to whoever directed that or whoever wrote that ad's uh, the next uh, next project, whether it be a TV show or a movie. Get that get that person writing something. They're clever. Uh, worst commercials uh, again. I didn't see all of them. Uh, just two come to mind right now that I 
that I, actually two commercials that I think are getting a lot of positive reviews that I I just didn't get. I didn't think was that funny. Uh, the Alexa one for Amazon. I didn't think that was very funny at all. And I uh, uh, the one the Doritos and Mountain Dew thing with uh, Buster Rhymes and Missy Elliott. I just I guess I'm just not the target audience. I didn't find any. I didn't find those commercials particularly good at all. Yeah, um, I I liked the Alexa ad. Um, it was, I think it was a lot. It was a 90 second ad. I think I, I liked it. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't love it by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought it was good. Um, and yeah, the the Dorito and Mountain Dew combo with Peter Dinklage and Morgan. I, I thought that was the worst ad by far. I I I, I hate those types of ads. They they do absolutely nothing for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that the problem I had with the the Alexa ad is I just I don't think they got the very good people uh, as cameos. I, I just didn't think like honestly, I didn't even know who like half the people even were. So maybe I mean, is that on me? Maybe I'm just not up with pop culture, but I, mean, I don't know. But I, I guess with those, my my big issue with ads like that, Lee, are just they go for the easy laugh. And I'm just I'm I'm kind of over that. I, I don't I I know some people, and that's totally fine if people just want to watch the Super Bowl and and just be entertained. That's cool. But I I am definitely more the person who is uh, who's going to reward creativity, which is why I love the the Tide ad one more time. Hey, I said Tide ad. Drink everybody. All right, that's our show. We'll be back next week with more OU football talk. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. <laughs>